0: Hello everyone. Welcome to episode number twenty of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from RugbyStrengthCoach.com, and today we're doi- joined by James Smith from AthleteConsulting.net and also GlobalSportsConcepts.net. And um, for those of you who've kind of followed what I've put out over the years, you'll know that James has been um, a, a massive influence on me as a coach and, and how I think as a coach. And I just want to say it's a massive honour, James. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks for having me on. So to
0: the uninitiated would you like to share your story about how you became a coach because uh just by itself it's an interesting story but I think it illustrates quite nicely as well that you you don't necessarily have to go the traditional route to to reach the elite level.
1: Certainly and I've I've worked to to paraphrase this because it can be a, a long-winded and the, the the short version is that I I failed twice to make it into military special operations and as a result of my failures i was i was driven to develop an an expert understanding of particularly middle distance running because this was my nemesis and the the year was 2000 and i had just learned how to use a computer and my my search to further my understanding of middle distance running led me to various online portals and so as i began to advance my acumen in this regard Additional searches, just in terms of my interest in sports training, led me to track and field because I've I've just I was raised a track and field enthusiast as a result of my my dad and his interests, track and field, books, researches, online websites, etc., and 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 that led into even more sports scientific information that which at the time was limited in terms of the translated resources. <laughs> From Russia and East Germany and Bulgaria, the the, the former communist bloc entities, and b- by way of m- my self education, because I'm a music school graduate, I went to Berklee College of Music in Boston and I graduated from there, and so the the, the physical training was always an interest. And that, and a passion of mine uh, through, through my entire life. I'm, I'm 41 years old now, and I still am very much a, a meathead just in terms of I love to lift weights. <laughs> and so after my two failed attempts in the military, I, I, by that time, which was 2003, I had amassed a lot of knowledge as a result of self-education. And it was entirely rooted in middle distance running, track and field, in sports science in general, I was completely unaware of the concept that there was a position in sport to work in physical conditioning. I, this, this was not something that I was aware of. And as a result of working with two close friends of mine on their physical conditioning, I was, it was in my last year of the military and these two individuals were really instrumental in sort of encouraging me to find employment in doing this that I had never considered, because in, in, in this points towards the content of the of the webinar of mine that you just point, posted, I was of the mindset that sport preparation exists as a as a holistic entity that is not factionalized, and now I become aware that no, in fact you, you can work as a faction in the industry working only in physical conditioning. And I thought, well, that, well, that's something that, that gets me involved in sport that I can do. And at that time, I began submitting information online articles. And that is where I made the connection with Buddy Morris, who is a big name in the physical preparation industry, and Tom Mizelinski, who had worked, they had worked together at the Cleveland Browns, for four years, between 2000 and 2004, and Buddy had been back and forth to the University of Pittsburgh, for, for, which ended up being his third stint at Pittsburgh when he brought me in because Tom Maslinski had joined him. This, the year was 2007. Tom, just shortly after joining Buddy at the University of Pittsburgh, he got the offer to take the Cleveland job in the NFL, and that's when he called me up and asked if I wanted to take his spot at the University of Pittsburgh, I'd been working at the high school level for three years coaching track and field and doing the physical preparation. And that's sort of the elevator version of how I ended up at the university level and then beyond as you and everybody else knows in the industry, it was a matter of connections overseas and within the US that has had me bouncing around and ultimately led to me being a consultant now where I've left coaching in order to have the bigger impact that I spoke of in the webinar.
0: Yeah. So it, it kind of sounds like a, a happy accident that you avoided the traditional mainstream education of, of preparation coaches, because I know you're quite critical of the traditional model that people are taught in university or in as they develop as coaches.
1: Certainly. And I, I would actually m- extend that, what I view to be an advantage, to, to almost any other profession, because... At least from the standpoint of of what I perceive education to consist as now 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 or consist of. Certainly within respect to opening doors of opportunity, the route that I have taken has not been particularly advantageous Mm -hmm. because when it comes down to letters after my name or curriculum vitae high points that stem from academia, I don't have these. And and based upon what can then be perceived on paper, there there's a, there's a large disparity between what my paper signifies versus what I can convey in a conversation, such as the one that we're having. Yeah. And I, I view these things to be an, an advantage of, of self education, if and only if one possesses an aptitude that is conducive for achieving high results in that discipline. And we see this all over the world. I can. Certainly speak to to the, the to the horrendous lower education system in the United States not to be conflated with the exceptional higher education we have in the form of universities, and the the result of this no different than the dysfunction of sports in terms of the early stages and the lack of competence that exists in preparing athletes from a holistic standpoint as I am a advocate of, but also from a selection standpoint, whether it's for academic selection or sport. And and we consider, well, what does this really consist of? And it consists of an aptitude that contributes to an individual having both a, a set of variables that are both the result of genotypic and phenotypic influence that contribute to their potential to achieve the, the pinnacle of results, whether this is in sport or any other profession, as a result of doing the least amount of work outside of the most specific sense, And so we refer to this as talent or gifted, et cetera. And so, so whether this is a tight head prop in super rugby, or an account executive for a hedge fund in New York City. The, the the answer to both of them having an extraordinary amount of talent signifies the individuals, whether it's the tight head prop or the executive on Wall Street, having the ability to perform at the top of their respective professions and ha- having to, to work much less more diligently than others who don't have their same aptitudes. It simply comes naturally for them. So in the the tight head prop not only has the the morpho-biomechanical traits, the work ethic, the sensory motor skills, those variables I outlined in the webinar, whereas the executive has a similar set of psychological fortitude and perhaps a mathematical persuasion and a confidence, et cetera, that leads towards having the prerequisites in place. And when these abilities are both genetically inspired and then furthermore amplified due to the phenotypic influence, what we're left with is individuals who frustrate many others who don't have those same gifts and then look at them and say, man, if I only had what that guy has or what that woman has, it comes so easy to them. They they don't have to put in half the work I need to put into and they're still operating at the top of their game. And where the perfect storm exists is when you have individuals, whether it's in sport or any other profession, that have these latent abilities and then combine them with a diligent work ethic. And there's there's not a great number of these individuals in many different disciplines, and that's more because there is such a dysfunctional process of selecting and guiding different individuals towards the professions that they are predisposed to have the highest results in. And this is why it's possible that the greatest open side flanker in the world is a mailman in Portugal. Yeah. And, it, and it's possible that, that the, the individual who's gonna solve the unified theory and form a a simple, clean, beautiful aggregate equation that solves the problem of gravity and merges it with the subatomic world in physics, that individual might be a garbage man in Uruguay. And and, and, and they never even ended up in rugby or in the physics community because of a sequence of events that were not lined up optimally to both identify these these existing aptitudes and then guide and encourage individuals to pursue these lines of work that they have the potential to be the highest performers in the world in their domains. Yeah,
0: I I heard somebody once say that the NFL is the worst thing that ever happened to USA weightlifting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a a great example. And so this, this sort of all comes back to what you originally started this line of discourse in, which is I feel that I had the advantage of... Locking in to what some of my aptitudes are and not being inhibited by a specific curriculum, which in and of itself is a self-limiting entity, curriculum. A curriculum has borders, it has limits. It's often the result of an agenda of a professor who's limited by the the, the outlook of the dean and the research restrictions, etc., and even if we optimize in the theoretical sense what a curriculum might consist of to develop someone if, if, we, if we steer our discussion back towards a sports-specific context, then we're still falling into the trap of what I criticize and what I have criticized for so long, which is the detriment that is posed by the factionalized system of this specialty and that specialty and this specialty and that specialty, which together forms these cumulative totals, typically unbeknownst to the individuals with the most autonomy, and, and therefore so much of what is explain what is explainable via the you know the words I use in the webinar, in, in a court of intellectual honesty, which is based upon evidence-based reasoning, those of us who choose to operate from this standpoint and who have a global understanding of sport preparation are much more apt to identify the dysfunctional problems in sport systems that lead towards performance outcomes that are not aligned with expectations in a a way that so many people involved in high-performance sport are either not capable of identifying or, due to the factionalized system, not in a position to ultimately impact the level of change that is required because of the way the hierarchy works and the the self-preservation interests of different individuals and sport organizations who, at the risk of losing their job or getting a poor performance review, will just choose to keep their mouth shut as opposed to interjecting the degree of acumen that might very well be game-changing, yet yet it's not because it either is highly censored and tempered for fear of losing one's job or pissing off someone in the organization or simply for the self-interests in keeping the information proprietary in order to leverage themselves a better position somewhere else. So however you look at it, unless a true system of harmony exists in which ego plays no role which is very difficult to find there is a built-in level of dysfunction that exists everywhere in the world every sport in the world at every level
0: and this kind of feeds into your idea that to get rid of that kind of factionalized uh, model the performance director should ultimately sit above the head sport coach is that right
1: Indeed, and, and particularly if whoever fills this role has the type of global knowledge that is necessary to serve, such as the analogies that I use, as the general contractor, or as the engineer, or the architect, or these, these other, the, the, the executive chef. The, you know, we, we, we think those of us who are, who are, I have to rephrase that, individuals who are not ultimately in the know, presume that the head coach is analogous to the executive chef and the general contractor, et cetera. And, and that's where, why they have then earned those positions as the despot of the organization. When in reality, those of us who know and anyone who knows recognize it's, it's an altogether different scenario, in which case the head coach does not have to have even a working understanding or or even a moderate level of awareness of physiotherapy or physical preparation or sensory motor advancement or psychological skill sets or any of these others, that you could be utterly naive in all those domains and be the head coach of any premiership or super rugby program, you name it, out there just as it, kid
0: <laughs> yes right
1: j- j- just as exists in 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 rugby and any other sport out there and be- because i claim that when we start looking at these timelines organized sport and professional sport is so very 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 new and this is what explains the stage of infancy and an utter equivalency to a primate system or perhaps we would go even back further into more simple biological system. Maybe it's more the the single cell amoeba stage. Because even though we can have conversations and we and we can point out individuals in various aspects of sport, and and point out the the brilliance of these certain individuals, the operating in these extreme minorities that they in no way represent the majority, and in most cases in no way represent. The, the autonomous figure operating the sports organization who's in the most effective position to, to advance performance in all realms. And so if the performance director or whatever colloquial, colloquial equivalent suits is in possession of a level of understanding of all contributing factors, then yes, that is the person who should be the autonomous figure, in which case the concept of head coach would actually disappear.
0: Yeah, it would just be technical coach.
1: Absolutely, you'd have, you'd have you'd have different in the same way. It's it's easy to think of this in the building context. So in the same way as you have the general contractor, and then you have the electrician, and the and the mason, and the the framing, and the the roofer and the plumber. And, and all these different specialties they exist. the general contractor is not there to micromanage them, however, he has he or she has the working understanding of all of them, and that's why he or she brings them in and assigns them temporally what's going to be done when and this needs to be done by this time because now this specialist needs to do there, so they have to have a working understanding enough to orchestrate this the specialist and and this is then what the actual head of sport, regardless of what we refer whether it's performance director or program manager or whatever, this is what that individual must be competent in doing in order that the programming and organization of the entire load is holistically managed. And that is what this individual would exist to, to establish and then allow the specialists to exact or to actualize the performance of the various cells of activity, knowing already from a premeditated standpoint, such as what I indicate in the, in, the, in the diagram at the end based upon Charlie's model of inside the SPP, everything is accounted for. So in the same way, the knowledge that we can already use, any of us who have prepared an athlete to jump higher for a specific evaluation or to sprint faster on race day, or to lift more weights in a competition, or to to throw an implement farther in track and field, any of us who have been involved in that know that there have long since stood highly efficacious peaking strategies where with a definitive level of calculus, we are able to state on this day in the future, this individual is gonna sprint between this Margin and this margin down to tenths and hundredths of a second. Or this individual is going to throw between this sort of five centimeter gap. Or this individual is going to lift kilos within this one to two kilo range six weeks from now. And how do I know this? Because of the peaking strategies that have been developed that largely escape the strategic approaches akin to team sport preparation.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, like you said, I think this kind of ties into the idea that a lot of people think if they have athletes who squat 10, 20 kilos more or this number goes up, this number goes down, that the program works. But until you fit it into the, the whole of what the athlete is exposed to in terms of stress, it, it, it may not translate into improved performance on the field of play. Uh, for example, like whenever a, a player in our squad has a baby, we know that we have to be super, super careful, even though it's nothing to do with training.
1: Just indeed, because of the stress <laughs> indeed. and And what you find, the, the more you you open your mind up to all specific performance factors, the the psychological, the analytical, the intellectual, the sensory motor, technical, tactical, tactical physical, physiotherapeutic, and, and you open up your mind to to say, i, I it, my objective is to be competent in all variables, such that in the court of intellectual honesty. I can make a case for my position to orchestrate these in such a way that holds that holds up in any court of intellectual honesty in the world and and that that is something that I made an endeavor of mine 13 years ago and the we then have to couple that with the opportunity to exact the skill set and then, you know to this day that that is something that has been a challenge in which the which the realm of consulting has been much more conducive to facilitate yet still ultimately a challenge and what, and what you just stated carry you, you realize what a limiting role the physical performance plays at the highest levels because because dysfunction exists and because the holistic method of management that I speak and write so much about does not exist in so many cases, what we're left with is the same thing that the reptiles, the amphibians, and the mammals, and the birds are are left with in the natural kingdom, which is natural selection. So we have athletic Darwinism, and the athletes who arrive, whether it's with the Pumas or the All Blacks or the Springboks or England, et cetera, what what those athletes represent is the condition of athletic Darwinism where we're not due to strategic program enhancement at all levels and technical skill acquisition and psychological development and sensory motor, et cetera, not because of an optimized system of guiding athletes, selecting them, guiding them, developing them, etc., not because of that, but simply because of their own abilities and work ethics and possible results of nepotism and gerontocracy, Th- they end up at the highest levels, much more so in spite of dysfunction than because of optimization. No doubt. And, and the interesting thing is, as you just mentioned, when it comes down to physical performance factors through processes of natural selection, every athlete that's operating at the perceived highest level of sports, whether that's super rugby, the premiership, the National Football League, the NBA, whatever, every, every athlete is actually fast enough, strong enough, fit enough, agile enough, supple enough, en- enough, because they are at that level. This is not to state that they cannot advance their performance by becoming faster and more fit and stronger, etc. However, the fact that they are on the national team or in the NFL or in the NBA, etc., states that they have, quote, unquote, whatever, enough, and so therefore the 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 endeavor to make a profession out of sprinting faster, jumping higher, lifting more weights, etc., serves arguably the lowest percentage role of influence on sport results in the entire system. And this is why anyone who's been working long enough in the sports industry knows that there can be an an utter level of incompetence at the position of physical preparation associated with a a world-beating dominant sport organization. And just as there can be a brilliant person working in the position of physical preparation attached to a sport organization that is terminally ill and performs terribly season after season after season, despite the fact that the physical condition of the athletes is very good. And so it's important to have this global perspective to understand what are the real contributing mechanisms of performance at the highest levels. And in this way, the the intellectual discussion has to, in my opinion, drift more towards these things that I speak about from a, from a much sort of omniscient viewpoint.
0: Yeah, because I you know with with respect to what they do in New Zealand, they're obviously back-to-back world champions. It would appear to me that they're not the biggest, strongest, fastest team in the world. There are other better candidates for those titles, but what they are is the best rugby players in the world and they're tactically and technically the best and those are great ways to express the physical abilities that you do have. And to expose the physical weaknesses of other teams and and push the pace of a game is is through those two things more than anything else
1: no question and that and that is why what I have found in looking back into history re- regarding the most successful sports teams in the world and rugby is no exception if if we, if, if we are, you know, Steve Hansen and Grant Henry and Warren Gatland and, and, you, and you go back through and you extend that discussion to any other sport organization, any sport, any country in the world, any decade, and and you look for the commonalities. So, so what we're doing now is we're using the scientific method and we're, we're seeking in this specific context constituents, key, key performance indicators to the high-performance realm. And so what are the commonalities shared between these teams, these organizations? What was it or what is it that, that Steve Hansen and, and Warren Gatland and we go around the world to all these different sports and disciplines and the errors in which they were competitive for a long period of time, and we say... What are they all doing the same or very similarly in their modes of preparation, etc.? And all that you come away with is that the athlete, the talent pool, is sufficient enough, and that the culture that exists to drive the talent is robust enough to inspire those athletes to work relentlessly for these long periods of time. Those are the only commonalities found. And those, those are the powerful ingredients to any successful sports entity and cer- certainly not limited to sports. However, they are far from the only important variables. And so this is why if we take, say, say the, 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 the systems such as exists in New Zealand, and, and we know that not only is every male in the country at some point participating in rugby. We we could almost extend that to every human being in the country (laughs) at some point, male or female, has some experience with rugby. So so now we have a national interest in the same way that the, the sprint and running events in Jamaica have their staple and that weightlifting was in Bulgaria and that baseball is in the Dominican Republic, et cetera, et cetera. And so... Now, all you have to have is a decent enough gene pool, and then you combine that with a, this incredible national interest, and all you then need is a culture to inspire that talent to reach for the pinnacle of their very best, and you are going to be a world beating successful organization, and that is why, on the basis of those criteria, New Zealand and Cuba and the Dominican Republic and Bulgaria, and we can go down the list have been successful as they have been or were during periods of time and not because of coaching genius or talent and identification acumen or any of these other things that get associated with sports performance and and that is why that is why we, you know you or I in different parts of the world right now could walk outside close our eyes and walk around until we bump into somebody, take that person, and have them coach the All Blacks next season, and, that, and the All Blacks are still gonna win 95% of their matches.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's, and, you know, one of the things that annoys me is people say, well, you know, well, the All Blacks do this, the All Blacks do this, and I'm like, well, the fucking All Blacks are gonna win the World Cup pretty much whatever they do.
1: <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, these things have to be recognized, and so then the question is, okay, if we have a robust population, and, and we have this astute interest in being competitive and really working for the results, now the question is, all right, well now that we have these basic ingredients of the culture and the talent pool, which you have to have, you have to have to compete at the highest level. In addition to that, now the question becomes, what other modes or ingredients will pose paradigm shifting influence on the process of sport performance and, and ultimately competitive results. And that is where I argue this concept of global load management or program management is the next step. And whether that happens in you know, our lifetime or not, I'm not certain, but I'm, I am certain that that is the, the natural eventuality of what the future holds.
0: Wow. <laughs> So you've, you've mentioned the influence of, of track and field and, and middle distance running and other kind of disciplines like that and your, your learning as a coach. And yes. I can echo, echo that as well. I think it was you that put me onto Charlie Francis. And I think one of the great things about the stopwatch sports is either the athlete gets better or they don't get better. And it can be a lot easier to, to infer transfer from certain exercises to sport performance. But you're a you you know you you have had a lot of experience as a team sport guy what's one of the ways that you think we need to you know create the idea of transfer in team sports how do you measure it and how do how do you how do you classify exercises for example in terms of what is more or less specific to to a sport
1: indeed so what what we know already is that transfer it signifies the Degree of causation and relevance that is generated by the preparatory efforts relative to their influence on the on the sport the competition exercise and so the the means of ensuring that preparatory methods transfer is as actually one of the simplest problems to solve because it's all a function of having an intimate knowledge of the nature of the competition exercise now. This seems as if it's such a novel, obvious concept that if you asked anyone walking by on, on the street, well, what do you think is important to know as a coach of sport? It, it's highly likely that it, that if you pull 1,000 people that the, the overwhelming upper 90th percentile will say, well, I, it seems to me you'd have to have quite a good knowledge of what the sport consists of. Now, ironically, that, while this is... This is absolutely true. It has been my experience working in three different cult countries and speaking in five different countries, etc., that, that that ability to have an intimate knowledge of the sports structure is not in possession by most head coaches of sports because what those constituents consist of is, is what I listed in the webinar. And, 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 and strictly from a... dynamics standpoint, when we start talking about means of movement preparation that have high transfer to the movement structure of the sport, now we are uh, talking within the realm of biodynamics, bioenergetics, and biomotor constituents. We simply have to have an understanding of how those three domains operate within, we're talking about rugby union, within each player, and as I indicate in the, in the seminar, it's not enough to say we're talking about rugby union, as you know, due, due to the different tactical and associated physical and technical abilities that distinguish so much of the Southern Hemisphere with the Northern Hemisphere. We, we have to account for the philosophical commitment to the tactical approach. And there's so many examples, of course, that are obvious if we take just one and and say, well, how might we prepare our players differently based upon a quick ball approach out of the breakdown versus the opposite of that. And what's interesting is we see analogies with American football between spread offenses and pro style offenses. There's there's a, there's a lot of similarities to be discussed. And so when we consider about the dynamics associated with quick ball and if we are committed to if we are philosophically committed to quick ball movement mitigating the amount of downtime and slower movement which which has its own advantages to to allow things to develop. But if we're committed to quick ball and comprehensive phase play attack schemes, now we have a whole different structure to consider when we make our diagram that is based upon the irrefutable evidence-based constituents that define the characteristics necessary to achieve optimal performance in this not only tactical scheme, but the philosophical commitment to the tactical approach. So I'm just using this rudimentary example of quick ball or not out of the breakdown. And whether or not that's a priority provides a different structure from which we work backwards from. So if we look at the diagrams that I outlined in the webinar, the the constituents of the diagrams remain the same. The question is the proportions. So it doesn't matter whether we're looking at, at the, the role of the left wing in the inside center in a team that's committed to quick ball phase play attack schemes out of the set piece because the, 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 the speed, the aerobic capacity, the movement fluidity, the agility, the, the hand-eye coordination and passing and receiving, th- these are equally beneficial regardless if you, you are just a really aggressive in 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 executing the quick ball and 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 complicated phase play attack schemes versus the opposite of that, taking the time, the scrum the scrum half is looking around, he's making his decision before he gets rid of the ball, and they're and they're pounding it vertically, very close to the break the breakdown with not much dynamism. Northern associated.
0: hemisphere.
1: <laughs> Northern hemisphere. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And. And uh, there's no right or wrong here. There's no better or worse. We understand that structure is different. And therefore, while the structure is very much different, no less do the participants' speed and force generation and explosive strength and agility, they all still are major players. But the question is, what is the proportion and the proportion of influence is what is different, and that is what then would mi- create different molds. If I was to provide much more detailed schemes and what this global load management looks like based upon the inside the SPP diagrams, what you would see is how those proportions would look differently. In the same way, but you know what what I what, what stimulated my thinking process for this in the same way that if you look at Sprinter preparation in the same way that the proportions look differently whether it's a long to short or a long to sh- short to long program for a hundred two hundred meter sprinter everyone is performing starts accelerations, maximum velocity speed endurance, and special endurance but the question is how and in what performances working backwards from the competition calendar so this same methodology is is just unimaginably well suited for the team sport preparation and it comes from what has already been well established in this case in the sprints and as you mentioned earlier, you know the stopwatch sports, whether it's, whether it's speed skating or sprint cycling or swimming or canoe kayak or track and field sprinting any of these cyclical domains have so much to teach for from, from the standpoint of global load management, because if, we, if, if, if you had the opportunity to talk with Charlie Francis, or currently with individuals, you know, Dan Paff and Bush Nexnader, and the, these other individuals who are really, really sharp in the track and field discipline, one of the biggest differences you'll find with any of them, and, and we could, names just don't come to mind if I start talking about sprint cycling or canoe kayak or swimming, et cetera. Any of these individuals, who are at the top of their game in these cyclical domains are, are essentially examples of these global load managers because, in, in the same way that you would get sort of a, a pause or a cross eyed look if you were to ask any, almost any team sport coach, some of the intricacies associated with their view on physiotherapeutic influence or alactic development or running biomechanics. The the cross-eyed look that the team sport coach would give you would would turn into a a very elaborate and useful dialogue from whether it's these track coaches or skating or cycling, et cetera, because of their much more high-level knowledge of the importance of the synergistic interplay of all aspects of preparation. So, the, so they are much more representative of this concept of general contractor as it exists in sports versus the team sport coach. And these are the things that I like to expound upon be, because you know, we then say if you've already got the talent and the culture that's established, in, whether it's with, with your Pumas or the All Blacks or the Springboks or the Wallabies, or England, or France, or Ireland, there's already more than enough talent and interest and culture in any of these realms. What there is not even a semblance of is this other piece, which I argue will be of such incredible consequence that it will go down in the annals of sports history as a, as a considerable icon for those who are looking back upon us 1000 and 2000 years and beyond into the future
0: to 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 tread backwards a little bit and and you, you spoke about the idea of general contractor my impression and from from what you're talking about and from from conversations with other coaches is that you know i think maybe 10 15 years ago in in the european and australian sports it just became that the performance director was the strength coach that got too old or too bored to be a strength coach anymore but now as you've said it is someone who's a a generalist and has to have a, a rudimentary understanding of sorry rudimentary understanding of of all of those different areas to control them it seems to me that now if if you are going to end up in that position and do well at it you're going to have this career progression where you begin as a generalist and then certainly you specialize uh, to a degree in in certain areas or certain sports and then you have to become a generalist again all over to ascend to that position. How do you think people should be structuring their development as coaches to enable that? Because it seems to me that we've got as far as making people specialists but not re-educating them to become generalists again.
1: No, I think it's a very important question. And, and to, to, to further what you initially stated, while we have seen the advancement of the acumen of these individuals and, and most of what contributes to the Port performance director position in Europe and in the Southern Hemisphere. What, what, what you also know is that even though we have individuals with, with a much more comprehensive level of understanding of all important constituents, due, due to the infrastructure factors that have not changed. What's unfortunate is that these individuals still operate as assistants to the sport coach. And so even though this knowledge exists and the acumen, and even though in many cases, perhaps these individuals should be the head of sport, the fact that they're not in, in mitigates the possibility of their influence on the sport outcome. And so you know We've got that rec- distinction to make. And, and on the topic of how m- might one most effectively educate themselves, there's a, there's a number of routes in what you mentioned, whether you go from generalist to specialist to generalist or specialist to generalist. What's important, because everyone is going to have their particular field of interests, that, and, and ultimately those would be aligned with their aptitudes. And so if, if I use myself as an example, I found that over the years, I was incredibly drawn to track and field preparation, which is why I'm just as comfortable as a track coach as I am doing anything else. And so the sprint mechanics, et cetera, that that go along with that. And then in addition, I found that I really gravitated towards the psychological realm and and ultimately the the movement study, the physics influence that leads to the biomechanics, et cetera. Whereas you may have some others who are competent in those realms but perhaps have a really profound knowledge of nutrition and and ther- ther- therapeutic influences and just as a general contractor might say well you know for the first 15 years I was an electrician mm-hmm. and then and then I, and then I began to see the the importance and the interest, etc. So I don't. In my opinion, it's it doesn't matter whether someone starts out with a, a. I, I'll always use the word concept over curriculum because even if I was charged with spearheading an educational system, it would it would not consist of curriculum because in and of itself, as I indicated, that's a self limiting construct. So if I was to to present. A, a, an assembly of concepts, it, it would certainly be more efficient and cost effective from a time standpoint to begin the process with generalism in terms of understanding all contributing variables j- just in the same way that we understand general education curriculums to consist in academia, where even though your end game is to become an orthopedic surgeon, at some point, you're checking off the boxes of history and literature and mathematics and all these things before it becomes more specialized to that particular field. And so if we if we outline these concept-based discourses that, that are rooted in psychological preparation and sensory motor and analytical and intellectual and technical and tactical and, tactical and physical, et cetera, we, we understand that there, there is no argument against the efficacy of developing competency in these realms. And then along the way, it's natural. Think, think, think about what is most interesting to you and and where you might choose to focus your specific level of, of interest and study, knowing that your end game is to be the head of sport and no different than a general contractor and, and even no different than current heads of sport in, in any sport in the world, because we can talk to any head rugby coach or basketball or American football or go through them all. We can talk to any of them and all of them, whether or not they were actually high performers in a position in that domain or not, will say, we'll, we'll talk to any rugby coach and they're either, we'll, in their playing history, they were either a forward or a back. And if we get more specific, they're going to have more influence if the head coach was a second rower. He's going to have more influence on the forward preparation, on the scrummaging, etc. Whereas if he was a right wing or a fullback, we, we know that in the tactical, tactical preparation scheme, he's going to have more influence on, on where he has more knowledge. And, and that's a natural thing. and There's nothing wrong with that. And, and I, th- I think if we were to say, okay, what are we going to agree on as being the most important way to educate someone to become a head of sport, and regardless of what we're referring to that title as, then there's no question that there is not, there's not one right way, but certainly it would be at an advantage from the very beginning to begin developing competency and understanding and applying questions and discourse to every conceivable variable, such as what I outlined in the webinar, that contributes to performance.
0: And presumably picking a good team that fills in the gaps where you are weak as a sport director.
1: No question. And, 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 and that is where it is. You know, if Steve Hansen listens to this and says, James, I really like what you have to say and I'm prepared to work for you. Now, we can all say, yeah, what's the likelihood of that happening? However, if, if he was to say that to me, I'd say, perfect. Let's all get together. Let me meet with everybody. Let, let's, we're going to leave our egos outside of the room, and let's have an intellectual discussion, and I'm going to diagram up on the board the, the basis that's going, to di- that's going to direct this discussion and provide it with an assembly of checks and balance- balances. Now, now let's, we'll each have our turn. Let's explain where we're coming from what our knowledge is because dogma cannot exist in this space and conjecture cannot exist in this space and i don't care what winning team you've been part of are currently part of have been part of none of this matters i want to see the evidence i want to see what you can explain rationally and let's put together a system here where we're going to make the use of everyone's strengths to the pinnacle of their abilities i as the, as the orchestrator of all this, will ensure that the process works synergistically. And, I, and I'm going to have everybody in this room be as fulfilled as they deserve to be relative to exacting the pinnacle of your skill set as it fits in this system that I have outlined based upon its irrefutable basis.
0: Wow. Wow. <laughs> You you, uh, you put it into words a lot better than, than than I can do, but that's that's you know some somewhat of the process that we're trying to do in Argentina at the moment, albeit with the uh, with the language barrier on top.
1: <laughs> Certainly, and it, well, you know, it's funny you say that because when we start talking about international sport, it's that's another it's all, uh, vital constituent to the to the process because how limiting would it be? if only Argentina rugby was to limit its scope of development to Argentinian nationals. And clearly you're, you're a representative of their open-mindedness in this regard, just as in any, you know, I was, I was giving the training instructions in Portugal, in Portuguese after week number two. Now, it just so happens to be that part of my aptitude is I learn languages really easily. So I'm fortunate in this regard and therefore I, I capitalize on it. Not everybody, is that way and and it's important that you point that out because the the you know a uh, a barrier is a dysfunction and in the interest of mitigating if not eliminating dysfunction we must ensure that there are no barriers so whether that's the ability to learn language or whether that's the ability to conceptualize the importance of sensory motor development or any of the others it we, we must strive to mitigate the, con, the, the, the prospect of dysfunction. And so the language skills are so pertinent for those of us who've taken interest in, 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 in what the world has to offer.
0: James, man, this is awesome. Um, I've got to wind it up now, but would, would you like to come back at some other point that's convenient to you and we can do a part two and kind of expand the discussion into the tactical realm and, and all sorts of stuff like that?
1: Certainly. Awesome. Certainly.
0: Would you like to tell people where they can find you online just in case this is the only one they listen to?
1: Sure as as care indicated at the beginning of this. I have two websites, athleteconsulting.net and globalsportconcepts.net, and I I can be reached through either one of those.
0: Are you still answering questions on Elite FTS?
1: I am. It's just it's just it's just on the basis of whether They're being asked or not.
0: Whether people are ready for the hard (laughs) truth.
1: Right? That's it.
0: Uh, Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, James.
1: My pleasure.